0: You're listening to the Surf Simply Podcast, bringing you news and opinion about surf culture, characters, coaching and competition from the team at the Surf Simply Coaching Resort. Find us on facebook.com slash surfing or
1: at surfsimply.com.
0: Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to the Surf Simply Podcast. We're recording on Wednesday the 27th of April 2016. My name's Harry Knight and with me today is Rue Hill. Hello everybody. And Asher King.
2: Good afternoon, podcasters.
0: It's uh it's been a, a little while since we recorded. I've sadly been a little under the weather since we last recorded. I don't know if you listeners can hear. I'm still a little a little more nasally than I normally am. I've um been getting over a cold for the last week or so, which is why we delayed the recording of the show.
1: You've been under the weather, Harry, but you've also been flying up into the weather. That was a segue. Oh, that was really 30 good. 30 episodes in, guys, and those segues are down.
0: Yeah, there we go. So, yes, I did finally fly my powered paraglider off the beach the other day, which I'm very pleased about. And then since then, every time I've tried to do it, I've been skunked by the wind.
2: So the paragliding is pretty condition-dependent.
0: Yeah, well it certainly can't cope with more than about 20 miles an hour of wind and you don't really want to be doing it in above 15 miles an hour of wind. Just so
2: Surfing, paragliding, you might need just like a variable variableless hobby.
0: Yeah, I have to take up like cribbage or something.
1: cards. podcasting Yeah, podcasting podcasting. Really good hobby There we go There we go I put up a picture On Instagram actually That Will took of you Our friend Will took of you uh, uh, On the beach In the air And there was one sort of Steely photo of you With your sunglasses on And you're paragliding A fan on your back And you're like Looking into the middle distance It's my Tom Cruise Top Gun yeah, yeah, really you're, you're classic smoldering. 90s wraparound <laughs>
2: glasses.
0: Which would look a lot cooler if uh, when, I, uh, when I landed and I was just sort of tidying everything up, I, there's, um, I wear a life jacket because I'm flying near the, the ocean and the, the Velcro cover on that sort of
1: popped open so you can see half the life jacket and the CO2 canister hanging out. Nice. Quite a few people uh, wrote in just to say how stoked they were to see the pictures of you. After the last episode, they were quite curious what you look like. Yeah. What, what I think you want to get down is you're landing, like, you know Inspector when James Bond lands in Italy, comes down with a parachute, just steps out of the harness in his dinner jacket, straightens his bow tie. I have I've to never, say. I haven't seen Spectre. Oh, it's, pre- it's, it's pretty fun. It's, I think what, very silly, but very good fun. Yeah, I think it's what movie reviewers call a romp. <laughs> <laughs> a swashbuckling romp.
2: I think that's what the English reviewers say because it never sounds as good when i say <laughs> yeah
1: oh that movie was a romp <laughs> yeah that doesn't sound quite the same what you say have you what have you been up to ray i met an interesting guy called david murphy from the imaginary surf company
2: have you guys ever heard of them yeah are they uh, are they wooden surfboards
1: yeah that's right they make wooden surfboards and they're based in brooklyn i actually met him just out in the water here at Guiones, um and actually our friend in new york carrie then emailed me the next day to say she was thinking about writing an article for the magazine on imaginary surf and how had I ever heard of them? It's like no way, Whoa, yeah, small this world. Morning. But yeah, no, it's, it was cool. He he was a really nice guy. I had a good chat with him. He was actually out surfing on one of his boards. So uh, if you go to uh, imaginarysurf.com, listeners, and if you're in Brooklyn or New York and you're interested in handmade wooden boards, go and go and check out their place. I think that they're quite happy to have people come in and they kind of show them around. And uh, basically, yeah, they hand make boards out of various different kinds of wood. They've got one on there called the Chocolate Box, which is like a dark wood version of the Evo, which oh, just I looks saw that. super cool.
0: And are they, are they doing the same as like uh, Otter and Grain, where it's a, a hollow board with a skeleton inside and then a, a thin veneer on the outside?
1: Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, and th- I don't know if they do the same as Otter surfboards, where they actually have you come in as a customer and show you how to make your own board. Mm. But if they don't, they should do. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, that's
2: definitely on my itinerary if I'm ever in the UK. I want to go to the Otter Factory bad in shape of board.
1: I thought it might be quite fun to do a, you know how we do our sort of Surf Simply satellite projects. I thought Mm -hmm. it might be quite fun to have one down here where instead of doing a week of surf coaching, you sort of come down and make a surfboard. Green reached out to us to
0: try and set that up, didn't they? And Mm -hmm. we just didn't have any space where we didn't have a workshop. Yeah, we need each. to we
1: need to build a few form, a few more uh, facilities. Yeah, figure mm-hmm. out some of the logistics. Yeah, but yeah, David Murphy, really cool guy. I'd go and uh, go and check it out. Ashley, what have you been up to?
2: Uh, I've actually been uh, in a non-surf related thing. I've been eagerly awaiting Game of Thrones to come out, which I'm very excited about. Uh, saw the first episode on Sunday. We don't get it on HBO Go down here, so I had to bootleg it. But oh, are you are li- you
1: going to watch it one episode at a time as it comes out?
2: Well, the the plan was to just save it till the end and then binge watch them six or seven at a time but uh yeah i couldn't wait so I watched the first episode
1: i can't watch any tv show and i do really like game of thrones but i can't watch any tv show like one a week because a week i've completely forgotten everything that's happened (laughs) especially (laughs) a
2: show like game of thrones there's there's so much going on that you kind of just need to dedicate a day to game of thrones what
0: season are we on now
2: i think six i I,
0: I lost track I, i stopped watching a while back i just it was all getting a bit silly
1: Okay, can I, can I just run you quickly through my Game of
0: Thrones how to watch? Is right. this along the lines of your how to watch a surf contest? Is there, there, there is a methodology here.
1: Yeah, there is a methodology. I see. Okay, so what you want to do with Game of Thrones is you wait until the new season comes out, mm-hmm. and then you re-watch the previous season you know, week by week as the new season comes out, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't forget what's happening because this is the second time you've seen it, and you've forgotten most of it from last year, but you remember little bits. And by the time you get to the end of season, whatever the previous season was, you're ready to then binge watch the whole of the new season, which is now out in its full glory. All right, I'm going to present a very nerdy question. If you were searching
2: for waves in the Game of Thrones kingdoms, where do you think that you would find the best waves?
0: Is it? It's Westeros, and uh, what's the other the, on the other side? But it's the Narrow Sea that separates them. Narrow Sea is not going to have any fetch at all. Yeah, yeah. So King's you're going to want You're getting no waves. You're going to want to go around to the southern end or
2: Castley Rock.
0: Well, yeah, the and very exposed. Uh, whenever they showed. Is it Pike? That's up in the north, the, the, the island people. Yeah, the yeah, Iron Pike, Islands. The Iron Islands, that's it. That always looked like it was pretty, pretty rugged and rocky. So. I imagine
1: that's where like, the Malloys would be heading up, maybe just spending a night at... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, where, where does Sean, where's Sean Bean's base? What's it called? Uh, Winterfell Winterfell so the, you'd see the Malloys would be hanging around at Winterfell yeah, like know, growing their bits you know a bit you know
2: Chris Burkard is, is up in Winterfell looking for his new yeah. uh, <laughs> Arctic cover shot and then they'll
1: find, they'll find Pete Deveris up somewhere near the wall actually, yeah, absolutely. Up. <laughs> yeah I imagine that I imagine that if you go across the Narrow Sea and then you head south of where the Carl uh, Drago lived I reckon you might have some nice yeah, point breaks find, along there
2: yeah I'll tell you what this coastline does
1: look pretty craggy and, and nice because that's what you really want isn't it what you don't want are those long flat bits of coast like you have in france which either it's epic or it's onshore for like 50 or 100 miles in both directions yeah Yeah.
2: or in florida where i'm from which is just basically bad
1: yeah
0: especially if you've only got horses to surf check with
2: yeah that that could take take a a
0: while Or unless you got a dragon. If you could yeah, ride a dragon true. you could do a lot of surf checking.
2: It's almost like your paraglider.
0: <laughs>
1: paraglider, yeah. yeah. Paraslayer. No, that's a dragon slayer. That, that's a that has you're to be, confused.
2: That has to be the nerdiest intro we've ever done. <laughs> that's my favourite, I think. I don't even think we've talked about surfing yet and I love it.
0: So before we go on to the news, we have a little correction. Of two corrections, two corrections from uh, previous episodes. You uh, you were pulled up on your use of of fee on uh, audio acoustics room.
1: Yes, I love this. So we had an email from Bruno facenda who is the professor of acoustic physics at Manchester University in the UK, and we had a little back and forth, and and he corrected me initially on a point I made about if you have a room where the ratio of the width to the height to the length is phi each time. Mm-hmm. For listeners who remember our last episode, where we were talking about phi and how this ratio has sometimes got these really incredible functions in nature and in design, and sometimes it's used in a pseudoscientific way. And I said that if you had a room with those dimensions, then it cancelled out audio waves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm just going to read I won't read his whole email, I'm just gonna read the paragraph that he wrote uh, about that because he he put us right. He -hmm. says, there is no, quote, cancelling of audio waves, close quote, process at all. The golden ratio have been applied to avoid something called modal degeneracy, which arises when rooms resonances and think about notes on a flute, pile up on top of each other at a given frequency. So imagine many note, many flutes all playing the same note at the same time. That's mm-hmm. what you're trying to avoid. Critically, this problem would be at its worst if all the dimensions of the room were equal, although the golden ratio prevents this from happening because it directly affects the room's dimensions. So does any other non-integer ratio. So 1.618, which is the golden ratio, is better than 1.5, but there are lots of other numbers that work just as well. So actually, that would slightly fall into the category of yeah it works but there's nothing special about the fee ratio there's a no, lot of other ratios it could, could be any other ratio right on that subject we were, i was chatting with uh, brian from firewire who uh, is a listener of the show hey brian uh who is gonna we're gonna try and track down dt and have a chat with daniel thompson uh, about really the tomo surfboards to but he's a little bit in the wind at the moment i'm sure we'll get him on the show eventually the other thing I wanted to correct was I picked up the WSL commentary team on using the word unique incorrectly.
0: Mm-hmm. And but, we had several emails saying that uh, they, were, they were in
1: your corner. We were, yeah, but this is actually not anyone who like, wrote in to correct me. This is me like self-correcting myself. So, especially after reading the book, The Etymologicon, One thing that you can say about language is that it's always changing and the meaning of any word is defined by the usage. You can't draw an arbitrary line in time Mm -hmm. and say, Mm in 1960 or 1850 or 2016 that is when words had the correct meaning and any different usage of them subsequently is the incorrect usage mm-hmm. so you know the word literally for example is now is used instead of the word figuratively which is literally not what the word literally means at all i know but at I some find point very upsetting <laughs> yeah exactly and that's why it kind of bothers me when people use the word unique incorrectly but you know the meaning changes and that's how language evolves hmm. and you don't want to be one of those people that's uh, nostalgic about the past you no. want to be as so our friend Kai always says, nostalgic about the future, which I quite like.
0: All right, on to the news then. Uh, a few little items that come up, and probably the the biggest one, and we may cover it in a bit more detail later on, but uh, Taj has uh, retired from competitive surfing.
2: Oh, speaking about nostalgic
1: for the past. Yeah, no, you're it's allowed a bit to of a tearjerker. <laughs> yeah, definitely you can be nostalgic about Taj leaving. He said something quite interesting about it, actually. He said... That he doesn't really have the drive to win any longer, but losing hurts just as much.
0: Yeah, I mean I can believe that. I I think if you put yourself out there as a, you know, it's it's one thing to go out and surf, and you know, okay, you're not as you're not going to produce the free surfing video that John John Florence produces, and yeah, that's okay. But when you're really putting yourself out there and saying, no, I'm going to go head to head with John John Florence or whoever it may be to keep losing that and really having it reinforced in your face that you're not as yeah, good yeah it's got to sting that's got
1: to be horrible well I like that he said he wasn't retiring he was just moving into a different direction career wise and yep. that he's excited to go and do a lot of web clips and I mean you know people always talk about they're going to go on to make movies I feel like making surf movies isn't really a thing anymore no you know what I mean but making really cool 7-8 minute long pieces for you know just for the internet which
2: uh, the, is kind of the way that yeah it's that's involved. pretty cool
1: I mean, I'd love to see uh, Taj do a whole bunch of uh, movies.
2: Ah, uh, with all these the the veterans retiring, you know, Mick Fanning taking the year off, Taj uh, retiring now, C.J. Hobgood off to, both Hobgoods off tour. Wouldn't it be cool if kind of all the early 2000s generation got together and made one more film? I uh, just would think a classic mentorized trip. Yeah, classic mentorized trip.
0: What, like the one that Surfer Magazine did last year, where they got the Momentum generation and took them to Kanduie.
1: Yeah, but that wasn't that <laughs> <Yeah>. good. <laughs> well, but it wasn't yeah, that good different. because,
0: but that was more to do with the, the edit that they ended up putting together because that, like I think that could have been a great 30 minute movie and they sort of forced, forced it into a, a, I think it was like 10 or 12 minutes and they tried to tell the story and show the modern surfing yeah. and there wasn't enough time to do either one properly. So you got the occasional clip of the modern surfing and a couple of like unsatisfactory interviews. And I, I think that that would have been a much better thirty. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they went out there and got skunked on waves, but I would have thought that would have been a better thirty-minute.
2: I think I would. Uh, I think I would prefer maybe a section-based movie, kind of like the old Taylor Steele ones, like a yeah. campaign-style movie with pretty much the same cast, but done now because all their surfing is still very relevant, and they still draw really cool lines on the wave.
1: I was going through some of the movies that you know you've been sharing with me and Asher over the last week, and. After you've watched like 20 in a row, you do obviously start to see a lot of the same formulaic elements mm-hmm. going in there. And I really feel like just great surfing and actually even just great surfing and great waves isn't the same as making a great, you know, movie. You know, sh- no. Even if it's a seven minute movie for Vimeo, it's still, you know, a film. And it, it, like it needs something else to it. it. It needs to get a bit more arty. And there's some guys that are putting out movies essentially as as big cornerstones of their career and certainly noah dean and geordie smith and and i really feel like that they they almost need to employ someone who's actually a cinematographer like someone who's artistic who's actually creating a beautiful piece of art uh, of which them surfing is just one of many elements
0: i think it's the storytelling element that's missing in so much of it it's funny i was talking with james the other day and it wasn't something he was playing around with the order of some different clips there was no specific story in the, in the clips that he was trying to tell but it was if you made a story up and organized the clips to tell the story it was so much more satisfactory to watch yeah and i i think what's so often missing in a lot of these little clips is it it, it is just wave 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 with some filler shots and you what you don't get is that storytelling element to it you don't follow whether it's a day in the life or the story of the surf trip or or whatever it is as soon as the elements are organized right so that you sort of feel like there's a start a middle and an end it's much more satisfactory
2: Uh, yeah I guess there's sort of two different routes you can take it there's sort of the storytelling route and kind of evoke emotion with the story you're telling but surfing web clips are also unique in that you can put one out that just makes you want to jump out of your skin to go surfing and like that, that's <laughs> almost it, I really
1: like that as well the bar for making Asher jump out of his skin and go surfing is pretty low yeah, yeah, pretty Jesse low. said that she's banned you from going on surf checks from your house because every time you come back and you're just like ah oh, I'm going surfing yeah definitely
2: <laughs> no but um so for example uh, Surfing Magazine just did kind of a profile edit on Tanner Godowskis mm-hmm. and it was called Mental Paradise and the storytelling element I mean it was like pretty bad it was like they didn't really say much at all but mm-hmm. the way it was shot and kind of the the sequence of it uh, as well as the the music they paired it with there's like a really cool old Neil Young track and then a Talking Heads track and even though it didn't tell any story it got me so excited to go surfing so i don't know i guess there are kind of those two routes cuz i i either want to be you know really excited by the clip or i want to learn something new about the 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 surfer
0: yeah, that's true the other big story this week is the Big Wave Awards, what used to be the XXL Awards for, for years and years and years and is now the WSL Big Wave Awards took place last week.
1: Did you guys catch any of it? So... Shane Dorian's wave is, does not need any narrative, story, it doesn't need any music, nope. it doesn't need any build up. Nope. All mm-hmm. you just need is to watch that, what is it, eight or nine seconds of Shane Dorian paddling <laughs> into that enormous, paddling, not towing, into that enormous wave at Jaws, then getting completely barreled with yep. a barrel that I would be pretty happy with if it was in like a head high wave. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah, and then he came out and I don't think he claims it. Does he claim it? I don't think so. Maybe he just gets an eyelash out of his eye. I'm not sure. <laughs> but like, what an incredible human being! And I really love that he got his mm-hmm. annual all-round performer award. He got as well, which I think is fantastic.
2: Yeah, Shane Doran. That's another uh, surfer in in their advanced years that I would love another Shane Doran section. Yeah, that would be oh, great. Edit.
1: I'd love to see. I'd love to see a movie with Shane Doran, C.J. Hobgood, Mick Fanning, Taj Burrow, maybe
2: Kelly Slater. I don't know.
1: Maybe Kelly Slater in there, only if he sorts his boards out.
2: Yeah, I
1: don't feel like those boards are working for him. No, no, no
2: we'll right. save that for a for a little bit later. But yeah, those boards do not look too hot.
0: But yes, yeah, so the the big wave awards, the voting's done between a, a panel of judges for some of them. Like the 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 biggest wave is done by a panel of judges that that mm-hmm. work out how big the wave is. But then there's a whole load where you can just
1: vote on them with a piece of string and a ruler. Mm-hmm. A piece of string and a ruler.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's always quite fun looking through the nominations and seeing what's going on. The, I'll post this into the show notes, but the Wipeout of the Year Award is always the most horrifying one just to watch the list horrifying. of nominations
1: for. I loved that Kiala Kennelly got Tube of the Year. Yeah. <laughs> that wave was Th- that amazing. Was, and just just for clarification, that wasn't in the women's category. That was, that was in the open the category. That was
0: the year's best tube. And it... I mean, that thing... They talk about being able to
1: drive a bus through
0: a barrel. I think you could get... The, the thing's so square, you could get, like, three buses side by
1: side through that barrel. It's uh, just absolutely... Absolutely amazing. Even now, I think there's this general sort of acceptance that, you know, men just charge harder, they ride bigger waves. And someone like Keala Kennelly, I think, will be looked back on in generations to come as being one of the most influential women surfers of all time, more so than the world champions that have uh, come and gone while she's been doing her big wave thing. Yeah, Really amazing human being, really lovely human being as well, actually. Uh, Anything else caught you guys' eyes in the news? Did you guys see that an architect called Dan Snyder is going to put a moat around the new football stadium in Washington, which they're going to then turn into a wave pool, apparently? Well, I think it's a a proposed design, isn't it? I think he probably hasn't looked into the logistics of uh, what's required. And out of all locations, Washington doesn't seem like the best.
0: (laughs) I don't know, you know, all those senators and congressmen. Maybe Obama will get out and do some more body surfing. Yeah,
2: absolutely.
0: <laughs>
1: um, well, where I'm
2: from in Jacksonville, I'm sure that would be a very popular addition to the stadium. Yeah,
1: I, d- I think that they've just massively underestimated, you know, what what's required in order oh, to create yeah. a wave. It's just never, ever going to happen. The maintenance cost. Uh, one story that I saw that I thought was beautiful, actually, we, we, we were on the, the facebook.com slash surfing page, as I think it says in the outro or the intro to the podcast mm-hmm. and we we, we have com slash surf simply where we you know post all the stuff that's going on here at the surf coaching resort and then on the other one we just post stuff that we see in the surfing world that's kind of cool and interesting and um, and I posted this article which someone sent me from the LA Times about a girls surf club that was formed in Bangladesh in a part of the world which is quite sexist and women are really not allowed to go out and mm-hmm. sort of do anything really self-empowering they certainly you know have to be covered up all the time and it's in a part of the country where the socioeconomic status of the locals is such that most of the kids particularly the girls are pulled out of school uh, before they're even teenagers and then having to work for you know one two dollars a day and the biggest challenge for some of these young girls who have just started surfing there is that they're supposed to be on the beach you know selling coconuts and selling food or Mm. selling eggs this one girl Shoma it's her job and they've, it's, it's, a, it's a great article and we'll link to it. But it, it basically, these surfers went over there from Australia in the 90s, left some boards. Uh, a local guy called Alams just started surfing on his own. Uh, this one local girl called Shoma, who I think is like 13, maybe 12 mm-hmm. or 13. And she saw him and wanted to learn. And it took her a month to get the courage to do it. She had to like sneak out. She got, um, her and some of her friends who started surfing, got a lot of verbal and emotional and, and a little physical abuse as well, actually, from other people in the society, as well as from family members who didn't think that they should be doing this. And this, what, I mean, this is almost like a fairy tale, but uh, the girl uh, Shoma, who I think is 14 now, um, won a surf contest and she won $40. This is quite recently. Wow. And $40 is two months wages. So she was suddenly able to go back to her mum and her, I think she has five brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And say, you know, look, in a day, I've earned as much as I could have in two months, which That's really beautiful. moved the goalposts. And yeah. uh, anyway, the story that was written by a guy called Shashank Bengali, who writes for the LA Times and went over to, uh, to meet the, uh, the girl and the guy who started the club. Is just really, really beautiful. I, when I got to the end of it, I actually had a little lump in my throat. I mentioned the Facebook page before because I just shared this because I thought it was kind of cool. It ended up being the most liked and shared thing I think we've ever posted on social media. Wow. You can actually go in. Uh, the main obstacle to all of these girls surfing is that their parents don't want them to take the time off work. And like these are these are 12, 13-year-old girls. Mm-hmm. And um, just to just have a few hours off in the middle of the day where they can go and surf, they, they need to have some money coming in so a woman called Alison Joyce has uh, started a crowdfunding project which you can we'll link to in the show notes and you can go and, and sponsor, them, sponsor these families and what, what they're trying to raise is $50 a month mm-hmm. for the families which is as much as the girls would bring in with a full day's work and allows them to take a few hours off and go and surf each day what they're trying to do is train as lifeguards and then Grow up to become professional lifeguards rather than just having to yeah, sell yeah. stuff on the beach or on the street. It's it's a really really cool project, and uh, I would encourage our listeners if you want to if you want to go in and sponsor a surfer, I think this is a very cool way of doing it. Yeah. Other generally philanthropic and altruistic stuff going on in the world that leaves you feeling all warm and fuzzy is Cameron Brown, who's been running a project called My Wave Addiction, and uh, he, he's basically this uh, California surfer who believes quite strongly that in order to do good things in the world, you should have A lot of people doing small things rather Mm -hmm. than a lot of people sitting around waiting for the big people to do a few things and uh, sometimes that's right sometimes possibly it's not practical but either way he's doing some good stuff he's got a bike to work week that he runs every year where he tries to get as many people as possible just to take some form of non-co2 emitting transport to work mm-hmm. and then to post a picture of it on social media and hashtag it bike to bike to work mm-hmm. and uh, and then he's he's got some big surf companies like firewire to jump in and, and give uh, surfboards out to the, the best picture and the best entry you know and i think his idea i was i was chatting to him about it and his idea was to you know, obviously try and make people aware of the problem of CO2 emissions, but also just to try and make more people aware of th- there's little things you can do and you don't mm-hmm. have to just shrug your shoulders and go, oh, the whole planet's totally f-. I don't know about you guys, but uh, taking
2: non-CO2 emitting means to work is is quite pleasant. Like riding your bike to work is really nice. It's a good way to start the day.
1: Yeah. It is. I say that, I don't, I drive my truck
2: to work. <laughs> yeah, I drive a motorcycle about three blocks to work.
0: So the only other thing that uh, that kind of caught my eye in the news was that, mentioned the past, Leonardo Bay in Los Angeles and the fairly rampant localism that goes on there. Um, quite violent and unpleasant localism that goes on there. And it seems that people are starting to take it a little bit more seriously, and somebody's is trying to push through a class action lawsuit against yeah. all the guys, and they've all been served uh, court summons. So uh, I think we'll we'll maybe try and cover that in a little more detail uh, later on.
2: Lenata Bay is just not the kind of place you'd think that there'd be rampant localism of that level. I mean, the the property in Lenata Bay is like million dollar homes, beautiful coastal LA. Yeah, and just to weird, have. I don't know. I, I I'd love to know who these locals are.
1: It, it is quite surprising as well because you tend not to think of, I don't know, higher, wealthier, I guess, socioeconomic groups as using violence as a way of getting things done. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they are here. It seems like they are. Yeah. yeah. We had a big talk on the show, I think, if maybe about a year or so ago. We did a whole episode on localism. But I think it's such a fascinating topic, you know, because it kind of touches on psychology and politics and the movement of people and it's just fascinating Uh, maybe after the court case is done we should take a look at it and do a bit of a deeper dive on it yeah well I, I
0: suspect given some of the people that are being served papers it may never actually make it to court but it'll certainly be interesting to see how it all plays out
1: finally in the news the ISA World Games Surfing Games is in Costa Rica this year they're having it down at Playa Hermosa which they describe as a beautiful quiet beach town which I slightly feel like that's someone who's not actually been there. Yeah, it's well, a bit misleading. <laughs> now, see, this
0: is the thing that I always say whenever anyone says, oh, play a player Hermosa. Which player Hermosa? Because every single town in Costa Rica that is on a beach has, has a, a playa Hermosa. <laughs>
1: I think there's quite a few in the states as well, isn't there? It's yeah, yeah. Well, there's they they mean the one right down by Jaco. Actually, it's it's an, it's a nice nice place, playa Hermosa, and they do have some really heavy, fun waves there. I mean, a lot of the time it's just a super heavy, close closeout barrel kind of shore dump wave. Ooh, um, and I know who you like those. I do like them. So that's pretty fun. But yeah, they, I know it was Haco next door, which is sort of like the neighboring town that's kind of adjoined on, mm-hmm. uh, which is in Costa Rica is quite famously sort of a very built up uh, surf town with a big nightclub scene in it and uh, mm-hmm. not, not a quiet little beach town. But it'll be a lot of fun. I, I might see if I can pop down and watch a little bit of it. It's always pretty cool watching those guys. Yeah. I, I thought actually just for our listeners, they might be a bit confused wondering what the ISA is because you know we always talk about the WSL on the show and I thought if I didn't know what the ISA was I would google it you know like you do yeah so I googled the ISA and I can tell you some of the things that it's not that immediately come up it's not the International Society for Automation nor is it the International Study Abroad Society or the International Society for Arboriculture Arboriculture I think there's trees Mm. Anyway, these are all things that came up before the International Surf Association. <laughs> Individual saving accounts, intelligent sensing anywhere, International Sociological Association, Industrial Supply Association, Integrated Systems Analysis, and of course, the Irish Sailing Association. <laughs> anyway, somewhere down <laughs> are page Are you sure it's four, not the Irish Sailing Association? <laughs> somewhere, down, Yeah, maybe they're holding it. Somewhere <laughs> down page four of Google, you'll come across the ISA, which is the International Surf Association, which uh, has actually been around, I think, a little longer than the AI which is of course the predecessor of the WSL mm-hmm. and, and it's sort of like historically was competing with the ASP to be the world governing body and if you read all of their literature they will claim with absolute confidence that they are that they are the, the governing, governing body. body um but you know the WSL you know clearly holds a lot more contests and is held in much higher regard among the professional uh, elite you know that's yeah. the that's the, what they want to win but mm-hmm. interesting the isa is the one that's recognized by the international olympic committee yeah who i was reading this week have have now i don't think they've confirmed that surfing's going to be in the 2020 tokyo games but they've said it's going to be on the list i'm not quite sure what the difference is
0: so every at, at each olympics there is the option of bringing a couple of uh, what like one or two sports in not as an actual olympic event but as a demonstration event the idea being that you can show that look we can put this on and it is a contestable sport and you know what are the viewing figures like how many people want to get tickets to it is it worthwhile so that the next time it rolls around which Mm -hmm. is uh was you know the 2024 games which nobody knows where they are yet but those games Surfing could then be on the list of here's a sport that we want to include because it did very well in the 2020 games. You know, everyone was excited to see it.
2: I think they do know where the 2024 is. I think it's in LA. Oh, is it? Oh, no. LA bid. LA yes. wants it.
0: Yes, there's the, the, they're still in the bidding process and they'll decide who gets the 2024 at the t- the games in Rio this year. Uh,
2: maybe they could, uh, depending on how the court case goes, maybe they could just run it at Lanada Bay.
0: Oh, yeah, run the surfing event at Lanada Bay. Yeah, yeah that would be perfect. That could <laughs> be their reparations.
1: <laughs> Do you guys think that it should go into the Olympics? That's a tough one. Um,
2: I guess it depends on the format of it Yeah, I how th- that would fit in the Olympic criteria. Also, it would have to be on a contestable platform. So you don't want it to be in the Olympics and, you know, two foot dribble. I don't know. That's really, really tough. But I think surfing would be. You know, beautiful on the world stage. It is pretty, you know, I'm, a, I'm pretty captivated by the competitive aspect
0: of it. I think it will be very hard to bring surfing as it is right now, as a, as a sport, into the Olympics without uh, a wave pool. The Games in London in 2012, you know, where would they have held them? It's the middle of the summer in the UK. Well, it would. the best bet they would have had is, is probably Fistral Beach down in Newquay. And it would have been ankle-high slop.
2: Which is not what we want for the Olympics.
0: Well, it's not even like even committed surf fans wouldn't have been interested in watching, let alone anybody else. And, mm. and everything else at the Olympics is, is, you know, it's up on that pedestal as this is the best that we can offer in the world. And I think that there is, you know, if Kelly Slater's wave pool, if they can generate that and put guys out. OK, it's not pipeline, but you know what? You could see some of the best technical surfing going on on that wave.
2: I think it 'd be such a shame if the Olympics were held in a wave pool, though I mean that just just to display the beauty of our sport I, I would just much prefer if it could be in its natural environment.
1: I think you hit the nail on the head is like what does it mean for the olympics i mean i don 't think it actually makes any difference for surfing as a sport at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, they might have average waves, maybe even really crappy waves if they 'd had it during the London Olympics. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of surf events that are held in crappy waves, and that's not really a problem within the surf community. I think that who it will be bad for is the Olympics, you know, because the Olympics is meant to be the best of everything, mm-hmm. and it won't be the best of surfing. So I think yeah. it, 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 could, it won't do any harm to surfing, but I think it might not be great for the Olympics brand.
0: You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast. We should move on. We still haven't spoken about the big surfing event that we were all uh, glued to over the last couple of weeks, which was the Margaret River event in Australia. Pretty good event. The men's and the women's both competed. Never went over to the box which is a little bit of a shame yeah never went anywhere actually the whole event was competed at, at the main break they did have pretty amazing waves though but they did have yeah. pretty good surf so i mean some really good power surfing some pretty sketchy turns over dry rocks on the end section sebastian zeitz beat julian wilson in the final of the men's and tyler wright beat
1: courtney Conlog in the final of the women's so quite interesting that everyone who has won a contest so far this year has been working pretty closely with a coach I don't Mm know. I I know quite a lot of the men and women are working with coaches, which wasn't the case a few years ago. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many of them aren't. I don't know if you guys know. I mean, you always hear about the coaches people are working with.
2: Yeah, then you don't hear about the people who aren't working with coaches.
0: I think as well, it's that very narrow line as to how do you define a coach? You know, Kelly Slater worked with Stephen Bell for ages and ages and and ages. But but was he his coach? He's quite or adamant he,
2: saying
0: that he's not a coach. Uh, Stephen Bell is very adamant to say he's not a coach. But if he's standing on the sidelines saying, oh, Kelly, see that? that, you know, that that's been looking pretty good for the last time. I mean, that's coaching.
1: Yeah, that is coaching. So, so Glenn Hall's been working with Matt Wilkinson and Tyler Wright, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of who have won two events now. And then Tom Whittaker uh, has been working with Sebastian Zietz. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what he's been telling him. I assume he's been telling him not to catch a million waves on the inside instead to paddle <laughs> out and wait for two big ones. Yeah.
2: I think it's a bit funny that uh yeah, all events this year have are on the men's side have been won by someone who's never won an event before this year. It's
1: pretty cool, isn't it? I feel yeah. like we're in,
2: really in a changing of the guard like I mean, we we talked about before. When you look at the the rankings right now, I mean, it's all over the place. I, I I don't know. I would love to see Wilco standing at,
1: at at top at the end of the year, but it's it's just a really reshuffled deck. Well, who knows? Maybe if things are going this crazy, Jon Jon might actually win a contest. Here we go. Happy kid.
2: Oh. Yeah, Jon Jon has been dealt a pretty tough hand in the first couple of events. I feel like his surfing's been there, but.
1: Well, did you see his uh, heat against Seabass? Was it round one or round two? He was yeah. He put bass? up in round one. He put up over eighteen points against him both of those guys were just surfing insane. That was yeah. that was one of my favorite heats of the contest.
2: Yeah, he had this, uh, John John had this one under the lip takeoff against, in a heat that he eventually lost, I think, against Kao Belly. Yeah. That was just amazing.
1: Yeah, that was the first wave of the heat, wasn't it? And, yeah. and him and Kai were just paddling out for the horizon and he just suddenly turned around and stood up underneath the lip on this thing. And he actually nearly made it as yeah, well. Do we, you see how close he got to coming we, out of that? We talk about under the
2: lip takeoffs. This was like way under the lip. Like he was taking off far after the wave broke, which was pretty
1: pretty impressive. One enough. thing that we're talking about every day when we're coaching people is how people tend to have that reflex of like I'm paddling to catch a wave, and then when I feel like the wave is really pushing me towards the beach, I stand up and then I drop down it. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're always telling people to actually m- try and paddle down the wave a little bit more mm-hmm. and and keep the nose of the board stuck to the water. Mm-hmm. And if you if you just continue that. To greater and greater extremes and steeper and bigger waves, you end up at a place where John John is, where you're able to do things like that. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you want, if you go, if you go to the heat analyzer, listeners, I think was it? I think it was round uh, it was three, middle of the draw. Yeah, yeah, it was round three against Kai Belly. Uh-huh. How cool was uh, even though Kelly Slater lost against Leonardo Fioravanti? Oh, sorry if I got that wrong. <laughs> it's <a> tough one. <laughs> well, I, I, that was tough wrapping my mouth around it. Fioravanti. Uh, I, I love that first wave that he got. Do you remember when he did that like layback floater at the end where yeah. his board got thrown about two feet in the air and he nearly landed it. It was like a layback yeah. floater to air. I mean, it was obviously like a bit of an accident, but it, if he'd stuck it, that would have been awesome. It looks so cool.
2: Yeah. yeah. I, Slater's, Slater's got to get these surfboards figured out. And it's so painful to watch him. And Kelly's just every event is just looking like he's just slightly
1: behind the eight ball. His boards don't look like they're working well. Do you think that it is, I mean, I agree with you basically, but do Mm. you think that it is his surfboards that are letting him down? Or do you think that all of the negative commentary about Kelly Slater and the speculation about is it his boards, is it his headspace, you know, is it his age? No, no one really dares to say that out loud, but, you know, that's kind of the elephant in the room as well. Yeah. You know, do you think all of that really is just us looking at essentially a clump in the data and assigning to it a lot more meaning than it really has i mean he won at the Volcom pipe pro you know he's really not he didn't finish last year badly it still would have been a good year for a lot of people
0: he didn't finish last year badly but i think kelly uh, the last couple of years kelly has done very well at fiji at pipe at chopes if it's if it's a big barrel and all he's got to do is throw himself over the ledge find his feet and hold on He's awesome. His his timing and his understanding of those waves is better than anybody else's. But as soon as it goes to turns, I don't remember the last time Kelly did well in a contest. On was turns. On was probably turns. You know, he's, he's made a few heats, but I don't remember the last time he's done well consistently through a contest that wasn't just in big barrels.
1: And actually watching him surf in round two against Leonardo, Leonardo's turns were just looking super solid, really much. Yeah, way more powerful. The flow was great, the power was great. I mean, he, he, he outsurfed Kelly Slater. It wasn't just that Kelly Slater wasn't... Yeah. wasn't surfing great you know uh wiggly Dantis was a real standout for me as well i was enjoying watching him at bells kind of starting to look a little bit like a bit of an Ockey. yeah and uh, he just kind of carried it up in uh, he carried it on surfing at, at margaret river i thought his surfing is looking great he's wiggly Dantis is one of the guys that i was never that interested in watching him in a heat before and now oh, I, he's so powerful yeah now I'll, I'll really enjoy sitting through all of his heats and postpone stuff so i don't have to so, miss them
2: Last year at the Quicksilver Pro, where in, in France, uh, there was a really big choppy day before they ran the event, and it was, I mean, it was pretty solidly double overhead plus, and just super hard onshore wind, and I was just down on the beach checking the surf, and Wiggly Dantes was the only guy out, and he was going mad out there, like huge, huge waves, and doing the craziest backside surfing
1: I've ever seen, and since then, I am a fan. Uh, I thought it was really interesting what Ross Williams said during, the, during one of the blank bits where there was nothing happening Mm. and he was talking about how at the moment the scoring system is such that uh, manoeuvre is either made or not made yeah, And he he felt that he thought that that was, uh, it shouldn't just be a binary thing. Bit of a mm. false dichotomy. A false dichotomy. And actually, you know, going back to the email we got from Bruno before about the audio rooms, we then had a bit of a back and forth and he then brought up the uh, argument from antiquity and the appeal to nature fallacy. And I was ah. like, we've started a surfing podcast where people write in specifically naming logical fallacies. <laughs> this is pretty good. I was like, oh my God. I love our listeners so much. And Just <laughs> listeners, I, I, I'm... I'm into logical fallacies so much, I actually bought my poor, long-suffering and very patient mm. nine-year-old niece a poster of logical fallacies. Which she has
0: up in her bathroom,
1: I saw. Which she had, I yeah, there, she does yeah. have it up in the bathroom. And every time I come over, she'll like, bounce into the kitchen and she'll be like, Uncle Roo, Uncle Roo. And then she'll try and explain like the Texas sharpshooter fallacy to me. Uh, <laughs> so I digress. Yeah, anyway, so Ross Williams made, the, made that really good point. And I think, I hadn't really thought about it before, but honestly, yeah. I, I think it's a really, really good point. I mean, manoeuvres aren't made or not made. Some manoeuvres are nowhere near being made, and some manoeuvres are very nearly made, absolutely amazing. And then, you know, maybe just the white water runs out of power, but if, it had been, if the, the power had been there, the surfer could have stood up, you know. That would actually
2: yeah. be a really interesting way to score heats if they had more weight on a manoeuvre that was almost made, because it would promote... More aggressive surfing. Yeah.
1: You know? An in
2: section where nothing's worse than watching someone lightly bank it off the in section, and it would be so much more exciting to see him just throw like a big rotator, almost make it, and yeah.
0: I feel like there must already be some variation in there because, I mean, look at Carissa's 10 from uh, Honolai Bay last year, where she fell. You know, she went for a layback in the, on the end section and she fell, but she still got, they still gave her the 10.
2: I think that would be sort of under the umbrella of she scored the 10 before she did that maneuver. Well, but like that was off the first.
0: Well, but a 10 is meant to be like you cannot surf a wave any better.
1: I've always had a bit of an issue with that. You know, when you see a surfer get like an amazing barrel at pipe, right? That's yeah. a 10 point wave. And everyone on the beach is happy. It's a 10 point wave is insane. And then they come out of the barrel, they kick out the wave and everyone's happy with that being a 10. But what if the surfer like just rides the wave a bit further, tries to do a chop up just for fun and falls off? right now if they'd landed the chop hop that would have been a 10 like logically it can't be a 10 if they fell off yeah i mean i know i'm being really pedantic mm-hmm. but you know it just it's always kind of niggled at me if it's a yeah. chop hop would it be a 10 if they landed it <laughs> yeah <laughs> no but just in terms of the, <laughs> the point i'm making you know is they're doing something yeah. something meaningless that's not doesn't really have any significance but nevertheless it can't be perfect if they could have done it a little an, better a little better exactly yeah it bothers me. It bothers me, listeners. Speaking of end sections, like The Rock at Margaret River is pretty gnarly. I mean, we had quite a few people hit it hard. Leonardo hit it. Kelly hit it. Sally Fitzgibbons hit it really hard last year, I think. Yeah. Or was it Courtney Connolly? One Conalogue? Courtney Conalogue got
0: washed over yeah, it last that's year. that's right. Yeah. yeah. I think the interesting thing I saw this year was a lot more people getting a lot closer to it this year than last year.
2: Just flirting with The Rock.
0: Yeah, I can't remember. I was watching one of the rounds in the women's contest um, and almost every single surfer you know I watched a couple of hours of the contest and every single one of the girls was riding all the way to the end section and going for something and then the camera pulls back and there's all these rocks sort of sucking dry
1: holy cow you know it's funny because on some waves they are dangerous like chopu and pipe but part of what makes the wave dangerous is also what makes the wave really good So it's kind Mm -hmm. of like a necessary evil. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I feel like that rock at the end of that wave doesn't really make the wave any better. No. And I feel like it's kind of like, yeah, it doesn't add to the surfing. Yeah, okay, it slightly adds to the drama when we're watching it. But I mean, not really in a way that I think is very fair to the competitors. It's it's kind of like making, you know, uh, Olympic sprinters run the 100 meters, but then just putting like a load of uh, soap on the line just after the finish line and leaving yeah. a dishwasher with the door open <laughs> <laughs> you know it's not really contributing to their athletic no. performance it's just a way of really hurting yourself quite badly in a very undistinguished way pretty much when you cross the finish line <laughs> so I, I, I'm not yeah I don't know I think it's something that they just need to think about anyway yeah. well but what do you do yeah Tell I people don't know. That they must kick out yeah I don't know I'm not sure that I know an answer yeah I just feel like it's it's Every time I see a surfer going for a maneuver on the end of that wave, I feel like, I mean, I, I spent a few winters down there and going right on that wave always, I, I, that rock's always in your mind. You know, you're like one turn, two turns, uh, yeah, I'm just going to kick out now. I mean, I never ever would like do a maneuver over the top of that rock and not many people did that were much surfing much better than me just because what's the the risk to reward is ridiculous yeah. Yeah. but then when it's a contest but when it's a contest right the risk to reward is there so you much know you higher. see these guys these athletes who are amazing surfers surfing all the way down the line and you're basically saying look you've got to do this thing that's going to give you an extra like quarter or a half a point right over the rocks at the end and maybe it's going to break your board or smash your fins or you might just get unlucky and roll an ankle or a wrist mm. I mean that you know no one's going to like kill themselves on that rock it's going to be some stupid annoying Injury, like a broken toe or a broken finger, uh, that's just going to like really, really be annoying and affect your performance for the next few contests. And I, I, don't know. I just feel like it's it's putting them in a slightly unfair position. But I, I, I don't know what the answer is. Mm. I was about to say because sending them out to the box isn't going to be any safer. Yeah, but the box is is shallow and heavy. But like There's you're getting pin- this amazing barrel. It's you know what I mean. No, no, no. This is this is more like people surfing chopu and then crashing into a boat at the end. You know. <laughs> Alright, so all of that, uh, just a little roundup
0: of the fantasy surfing uh, setup. Uh, sweet Stylish Surfers, you won the men's event. Uh, Sub is still in the lead overall. And then we had a three way tie for the win at Margaret's in the women's. Scott Gledhall, uh, Justin, and Big Dog Wave Riders. Uh, you guys all tied for the lead, and Justin, you uh, are in the lead overall. The next event is in Rio next week uh, on May 10th. And Taj retiring means that we've now got a, another shake-up. We've got yet more injury replacements coming in. More wild cards. More wild cards, indeed. So that'll be interesting to see.
1: All righty. Uh, just a couple of quick listener emails. We actually I should just say thank you to everybody who writes in because we get quite a lot of emails that yeah, are really, really nice. that are just really nice, and it's and it's awesome.
0: Yes, unfortunately we would read a lot more emails out, but in general, uh, we all sit down with cups of coffee to record this interview and then talk far too much, and then we get to the listener email and realise that we don't have any time. Put the <laughs> list of the emails in, so we decide we'll do, you do them on the next episode, and then the next episode we all sit down with even stronger coffees, and we have the same problems. Yeah. Well, yeah, and the emails, b-
1: the emails back up as well because we usually have four or five emails on the show notes, and then we we barely get to one, and then the yeah. next one we've got those plus the next lot. I think we've got a backlog of about twenty or thirty emails at the moment. So if you wrote in, we really appreciate it. We definitely read it because we read every email mm-hmm. that comes. Well, in. I do try to reply to all the emails. The yeah, I, I think we reply to all of them. Uh, if we didn't reply to your email, then it's because it didn't get through for some reason but we didn't uh, ignore it
0: anyway a uh, quick one from Stephen. Stephen asks back in february you talked briefly about receiving a firewire advance boards for the resort uh, i've looked at that model and would love to hear your opinions on them thanks again and keep up the good work so Rue, you haven't had a chance to ride them yet but we've been using them for the for coaching for a little bit um we got a load of the advances in the timber tech construction i've been pretty impressed with them
2: yeah um they, yeah i I've actually liked them a
1: lot more than I expected that I would yeah H- Harry, do you want to just talk a little bit about what 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 made you make the decision to go for that model
0: yeah we were, we were talking about one of the the issues with people wanting to surf boards that are maybe a
1: little uh, a little shorter, a little bit more performance orientated or specifically have got a, a smaller arc of the radius of the turning circle.
0: Yeah, so, so try, trying to find a board that's a little bit more performance orientated that, that over the course of a week uh, of doing lots of video analysis and lots of technical coaching we can bring someone's technical surfing skills on quite a lot but what we can't make too much of a change to within one week is paddle fitness and so what we find a lot of the time is that we, c- we can get somebody to the point where the board is what's holding them back they're riding a board where the amount of swing weight in the nose of the board is just a little bit much and it's going to be a real benefit to them for the drill they're working on mm-hmm. with the, you know, little cutbacks or little re-entries off the whitewater it's going to be really beneficial to come down onto a shorter board with a little less uh, weight in the nose but we haven't had too much time to address paddle fitness um, and, and positioning in the, in the waves just takes longer you need to spend more time in the water to, to build that that skill up and so having the advances are great because they're, they're very very thick uh, railed boards lots and lots of volume in them and you can go from riding an eight foot longboard shape to riding a seven foot sort of slightly more pulled in shape with reasonably minimal loss in volume and, and loss in paddle power so you're still getting into the waves You're still getting up and riding, but once you are up and riding, you've then got the benefit of uh, this reduced swing weight, a slightly more performance tail, a little bit more down the line
1: speed as well. Actually, you know the 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 contours of the board mean that it's they're, they're pretty quick. Yeah. So do you, want, do you want to just talk a little bit about? I mean, obviously, if you take the v- volume out of the length and you put it into the width, mm-hmm. then what you have is less swing weight and a, potentially a, a tighter turning arc. Mm-hmm. But you don't lose the paddle speed that you have with the volume. So what's the disadvantage of that trade-off? Because every every aspect of surfboard yes. design that like we talk about is a question of you get something but you lose something else. Yeah,
0: you do. And and the the trade-off is that with a wider board, it can be harder to roll the board from one rail to the other. You know, particularly if you're if you're thinking top-to-bottom surfing where you put the board onto its left rail and then onto its right rail and then onto its left rail the wider and wider you go the more difficult that becomes especially if you have uh, smaller feet, a little bit less leverage uh, to do that with it can be a little harder the other thing is that that, you know with the advances you get a thicker rail and that thicker rail can sometimes be a little harder to set uh, in the wave face, a thin rail will grip, will sink into the wave and grip very quickly where the thick rail can sometimes just require a little bit more conscious
1: effort to get it fixed. Thick rails, one of the hard things is, is really they also require a lot of weight on the rail to kind of push it into the water. Mm-hmm. And when you're moving the rail to rail, the, the, I mean, you should do this with all boards, but with those advances, you certainly need to be moving your back foot, like physically picking up, even if you've got quite big feet, and actually mm-hmm. moving the, your foot a few inches towards the right rail if you're doing a carving turn to the right and vice versa to the left. Um, I think that the pitfall of getting on one of those boards, just from a coaching point of view and a developing your own surfing point of view, is that if you're struggling turning a longer board because basically you're not moving your feet and you're trying to turn it just by leaning heel to toe, and so you get on a smaller board because you think, well, it's smaller and it's got a little more rocker, I'm going to be able to lean heel to toe and have a slightly smaller turning arc still without moving my feet yeah you will have a slightly smaller turning arc but you'll still hit that brick wall it's much better to get really good at actually moving your feet around which if you watch kelly slater or any of these guys surfing, yeah. even five sevens and five eights they're still moving their feet around i was about to say even regardless of moving the feet just if you're if you're struggling turning the
0: board make sure that the technique is is not what's holding you back because I think a lot of occasions people who are struggling to turn longer boards there is a fault in the technique whether it's because they're not moving their feet or because they're throwing their upper body around too much and it will always always be easier to turn a shorter board but that can give a, a, a false sense of improvement because you will be able to turn the small board better but if you're using a, a flawed technique, there will always be a glass ceiling that you'll never ever be able to push through.
1: Yeah. And it's usually is about 90 degree change of direction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You can probably push it to a 90 degree change of direction and it will be easier to do that 90 degrees on the smaller board. But you'll still be limited to that 90 degrees unless you sort the technique out
1: that's something with the level three surfers and level three surfers listeners are surfers that are up to about sort of overhead waves they're catching all of their waves comfortably so when they come along and surf simply we're doing almost all video coaching with them Um, and i would say that's probably one of the most common issues that people have isn't it even people that have been surfing 10 20 years yeah yeah
0: Okay, rolling into the what to watch section for this week then, and there have been a ton of cool little edits that come out. I guess actually it's been three weeks since we recorded, so it's not a hugely abnormal uh, amount if you break it down week by week, but there have been lots of cool little videos that I've been looking at. One of the ones that I saw that got me quite excited, uh, it's an edit called Moonlight Alaya. Oh, I like that uh, one. It's quite atmospheric, but it got me particularly excited because me and Asher have been getting excited about taking my, my foam A liar down to Peru when we go next week. Oh,
1: that's right. Yeah, listeners. So, we're going down to Chicama in Peru next week to do uh, 10 days of coaching with some level three and four Surf Simply guests that are coming down. So, which is going to be pretty exciting. I'm not sure if we're going to be able to do a podcast. We might, we're going to try to see if we can lug all the kit that would down. Be cool if we could. And do a podcast from Peru. But we'll, we'll have to wait and see how it goes. But yeah, I, I was uh, messing around on your Finless and Leia when we were down there last year. And mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun. It's mm-hmm. a lot of fun on Point Break. So yeah, I, I, it, it, a very beautiful,
0: well-put-together uh, movie. But the other one I enjoyed, Kai Lenny and Albie Leia, who are both Maui-based surfers, uh, have both put out edits recently. And they're both just cracking. Really good. I mean, it, the interesting thing with both of those guys are not specialists in any division. They're, they're paddling into 50 foot waves, they're doing airs in little short waves, they're doing big power turns, I and mean Kyle Lenny particularly is then doing the paddle surfing and all sorts of other stuff like that.
1: What was the soundtrack on the Kyle Lenny film? I tried Shazamming it and I couldn't. My Shazam thing kept telling me like the wrong song and different songs every time. Oh, I'm not sure. I watched a couple of times, it gave me goosebumps. Okay, listeners, if anyone knows what that song is, you've got to write it and tell me because it's really annoying me and I'd really appreciate (laughs) it. Uh, Anything else catch you guys to The Keala Moniz one, I thought was really, really beautiful. Oh, she rips. But then the Reef Girls one, when they're kind of mincing around in Bali. I mean, it was, was kind of just a bit like like a clothes advert I mean it's funny Reef have always been associated with the whole kind of girl in a bikini thing and they're obviously trying to step it up and they're going look we really liked the girl in the bikini thing and we're going to push it hard but they do surf now too yeah and, and it's also, like they, ca- they do surf they do surf like here's them catching a wave at Uluwatu but I think if you're going to do that you've got to have them surfing like a bit more I well, think that's like a four-minute <laughs> movie <laughs> and there's maybe two waves in it.
0: Well, did you see the follow-up? Because that's a series that they're doing. It's the just passing through thing. And that was episode two. And episode three is then Mick Fanning getting shacked oh, at the Superbank. Yeah,
1: I know. I loved that. Yeah,
0: oh,
2: I'm it, always down to watch Fanning footage.
1: Yeah, especially at the Superbank. Oh. There's like, he gets that really long barrel and he's got the GoPro hanging out of his mouth and he's yeah. just kind of messing around. No. And then he does, in the next wave, the second wave of the film, I think, or the third one, he... Like comes towards the camera and he does a kind of a drop wallet cutback and then throws his whole body round like he's doing one of those John John cutbacks, oh. and it's just like I hope that you know he looked like he was messing around and having fun. He didn't yeah, I hope look like contesting that. It was cool to see. Yeah, As, uh, speaking about films with a narrative to them, the Namibia one, yeah, was awesome. Uh, what's it called? I think it's just called Skeleton Bay, isn't it? I think it's just called Skeleton Bay, but it. Mm. It's, I think it's a Ritz Aaron isn't he? Uh, I think he's speaking Castilian Spanish as opposed to... I'll Basque. But he was, that was a really cool movie. That's the best movie about Skeleton Bay I've ever seen. Mm. And talking about movies that make you want to go surfing, that movie made me really want to go to Skeleton Bay a lot.
2: I have a feeling that that wave is way more intimidating than it looks on video. I always go, oh, yeah, I get so barreled there.
1: But then it—I I bet it's a heavy, heavy wave. If you watch the first wave in it, I, I don't know who it is surfing. Maybe it's a Ritz, but he's kind of like not quite in the barrel. You know, he's riding yeah. just ahead of the barrel, and you think, well, you know, if the, if he's not committing that much, trying to get deep inside it, and he's, you know, right. I don't WCT think he is top, top thirty-four anymore, but he was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah that must that must be a lot harder than it looks. Um, I love the Dais clip as well. Uh, what, what was that called? The new uh, Dais clip they've just put out. Storm
0: Winston. Storm There's Winston. All, all, the, uh, all the surfing that took place at uh, Noosa Heads after the Storm Winston
1: passed through uh, the east coast of Australia. Yeah, well, that was beautiful cool surfing. Song. And they they had a Simandi soundtrack. If you haven't ever heard Simandi listeners, you have. Saimandi are one of those funk bands that have been so massively sampled that every song you hear by them, you're like, oh, I know this song. But yeah, they they pulled out an original Simandi 12-inch and uh, I can't remember what the name of the track was, but that was over the top. They have some good soundtracks. Yeah, Deus Deus knows their stuff when it comes to putting music to surfing. They had... Do you remember Harrison Roach put out that black and white one that we talked about a couple of episodes ago? Oh, Mm -hmm. so good. What was it called? I forget. Uh, Salvaged. Salvaged. Because it was all salvaged footage. And the whole beginning couple of minutes was Fela Kuti which is just awesome
0: yeah very cool all right ladies and gentlemen that is all we have time for this week I hope you've enjoyed the show and I hope you'll join us next time whether it be back here in Costa Rica or in the deepest darkest Peru with our marmalade sandwiches
1: (laughs) yeah. <laughs> that was a very obscure Paddington Bear reference it? <laughs> I'm glad that you got it <laughs> yeah that went way over my head I was like oh is kind of on one right <laughs> now <laughs> okay. bye listeners bye bye guys Bye-bye. take care
0: that was the Surf Simply podcast from the Surf Simply coaching resort in Costa Rica for more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses for experienced surfers and technical coaching for entry level surfers go to surfsimply.com